I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. Red alert. All hands stand to battle stations. Luck has foils and attack positions. Prepare for battle! Autobots, roll out! Get ready, it's your weekly dose of nerd culture. All wings report in. With your crew, Obi-John Kenobi. Hello there. Commander Scott. Nothing amazing about it. I know this ship like the back of my hand. Julian. You tell him I'm coming! And hell's coming with me, you hear? And the Doc. Great Scott! Movies, TV, streaming, video games, comic books, board games, toys, collectibles, cosplay, conventions. If it's happening in the world of geekdom, we're talking about it. So lock and load, bag and board, and roll for initiative. We've got your... Nerd Hello there. It's Obi John Kenobi, your favorite host in all the podcastum, and welcome to your weekly Bad Alert. That's right. The uh, the red phone is ringing. Uh, Jay, I need you to flip open the head of uh, Shakespeare and activate the hidden passage to the bat poles to the bat Better. cave. Nerd alert! Uh, welcome to your weekly nerd alert, where we are finishing off, uh, capping off what has been at this point now three weeks, uh, an epic three-parter episode, folks, to cover uh, the the influence of the cinematic Dark Knight. We spent, so two weeks ago, we kind of went through the the Batman movies, uh, the live-action Batman movies, and, and gave you our thoughts on that and uh, a brief look forward on what's coming uh, later this year. And then last week, <laughs> we gave you our, what was supposed to be two separate pitches for Batman movies that might as well just have been the same pitch, uh, and recast well, yeah. uh, our version of a Batman film. This week... Uh, to celebrate the debut of the newest cinematic Dark Knight, uh, because right as this episode is uh, uh, debuting on the internets, the Batman will be hitting theaters. So how, what better way than to celebrate uh, uh, arguably our favorite incarnation of Batman, even though it's not cinematic or live action? Yep. Uh, this week... We are talking about because we're 90s kids and you can't talk about Batman to a 90s kids and not eventually hit upon the epic, uh, transformative, definitive series that is Batman, the animated series. And that's what we're talking about today, kids. Hooray! Before we do that, let me formally introduce the other half to this dynamic duo. The man who... Keeps the. I was gonna try to think of a death strike pun, but they're all just dirty. Um, <laughs> uh, the man who will find a way to put death stroke in anything. Yeah. Uh, joining us from somewhere in time and space via the DeLorean, ladies and gentlemen, it's the Doc. I am Batman. I'm Batman. You're Batman. You're you're, you're the Doc. Batman. Where were the other drugs going? Okay. <laughs> anyway. 
<laughs> I like so, that. We're just going to keep that going. <laughs> uh, so, random fact, I've been watching the Olympics with my wife, Megan. Uh-huh. And some of my favorite Olympics uh, sports, like, I love... Uh, Lucy? I love curling. Oh. Uh, curling is a lot curling. of fun. Who watches curling? Um, I love it. I, I wish there was a board game for it that somebody had invented. Anyway, uh, no, I love curling. And, like, mm-hmm. the physics and science behind curling is just crazy to me. Like, you give it just a little bit of a turn, and it spins down there, and you're sliding this rock 100 feet away to land it in a space that's not very large. Uh, but, yeah, it's a good time. Also, okay. freestyle skiing. The uh, uh, uh-huh. they we watched the men's men's snow cross. No, men's slope style. Men's okay. slope style skiing, uh-huh. and they were jumping on top of a a shed that had a rail attached to the top of it that was twenty five feet off the ground. Okay, but no. was. Was there an abominable snowman at the bottom of the run to gobble them up? Oh, like no. on the old computer ski game. Yes. Oh my god, you had to ski away from it. Yeah. It was just like when they add that, then I'll watch skiing at the Olympics again. Sounds good. <laughs> uh, whoa, what's this? Justin, uh, just like when Alfred randomly let Vicky Vale into the Batcave, ladies and gentlemen, Commander Scott is here. Uh, it helps if I actually, it, it it helps if I actually turn power onto the microphone when I start talking. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, Were I you just talking? Broken, so. No, no, I wasn't. Um, but did I did I join late? I'm sorry. No, you're fine. We just got you, through intros, so you're not. You're just on. You're right on time. Right on time to to cue my joke about wishing there is a board game for curling. Um, there's, there's several actually, uh, there, there have been like, there's a couple of card games that have been over the years. There's, a uh, several that you, you can flick stones down, uh, like a silicone mat thing. Uh, but I would highly recommend, uh, the one called, uh, caveman curling. Um, I forget who publishes it, but, uh, you, you do have a little bit of a flick kind of emotion, but once you get, once you do the flick, then there's some, mechanics you can use to mitigate the uh, randomness of the dexterity mechanics so uh but there are several that are out there uh also i just wanted to point out one thing and you guys might agree with me if you've seen the u.s men's olympic curling team lately um they look like a group of dads that got lost on their way to go watch their kids play hockey um yeah, they, 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 they do very much have uh, the whole dad bod kind of look thing. Not to be confused with the teacher bod, uh, <laughs> which I've heard recently is is a thing. How did we uh, get on curling, Jay? This is supposed to be about Batman. Batman, Batman he's, he's, he could curl. He could curl. Well, yeah, Batman can do anything. He's Batman. He, he does Has bat there curls. been... A Batman Wait. curling action figure. Oh, I highly doubt. All right, well, there's, there's like, Arctic bat. Like the head of his broom is shaped like a batarang. 
like the bat symbol. Yes. Um, however, I, I I know you were talking about it somewhat in jest a minute ago, but uh, you mentioned the physics of curling. Yeah. Um, Way to go, Jay. You uh you you do realize that there are actually two uh groups of people that are studying why curling stones behave the way they do because no one actually knows why they behave they do there's two different schools of thought so what's what's interesting is that if you take any other flat object on a flat surface that's not ice of course um say a glass or a bowl or something on a kitchen counter or a kitchen floor right and you you shove it forward while simultaneously giving it a, a lateral procession, uh, either clockwise or counterclockwise. It will curl, but it will curl in a direction that is opposite the direction of spin. So if you if you shove a bowl down a floor and you you give it a a, a lateral procession to uh, the left, it will actually curl to the right. If you give it a lateral procession of the right, it will curl to the left. And the reason for this is because as gravity begins to, and friction, friction begins to, to, to pull down on it, um, it, will, it will actually gather weight. It, it'll, it, it starts to slow down, so it throws its weight forward on the leading edge. And so it rotates out away from that. However, curling stones behave exactly opposite of that. If you throw a curling stone and you give it a lateral procession to the left, it curls to the left. You give it a lateral procession to the right, it curls to the right. And physicists cannot agree why. There's, like I said, there's two two schools of thought, which I won't get into here because it could be you know long, nerdy, and boring, and I don't wish to do that. On yeah, point. we wouldn't want to do that. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but yeah, so the physics behind it is still in debate. Can, Don't worry, Scott. I'm not out of you. Jason put the quarter in, and we gotta let the whole song play. I understand, Scott. It's okay. Can Can I just? I just want to point out. No, one image. swear to I, God, if it's about curling, I'm I'm <laughs> dropping your call. Swear to God. I, no, I I just want to put one image in your head, John. You ready? Better be a curling Batman action figure. Scott Cox kneeling on his kitchen floor, <laughs> curling bowls <laughs> across his. Floor, his kitchen floor. Yeah, I um, assume he does that just like on a random Tuesday because he's Scott. Oh. Yeah, just so, yelling at nobody, yelling at nobody to sweep. No, he's yelling at the cats. <laughs> hurry! All right, Henry, hurry, Henry, hurry, Henry, hurry, 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 hurry. <laughs> yep. Oh God. So joining us, rounding out our dynamic duo into a terrific trio, uh, the Lucius Fox of this group, because he's the biggest nerd in the house ladies and gentlemen commander scout sorry i was late okay uh, there was some miscommunications mistakes were made <laughs> yes they were jason brought up curling <laughs> <laughs> so all right steering this bad shit back on topic uh we talked about uh, the doc and i went through all of the live action batman films and i think we were kind of in, in agreement uh even though some of the newer ones are pretty cool and badass there's a special place in our heart for the original 89 Batman because being a kid in the summer of 89, you couldn't escape Batman. 
And you can't talk about the thing we're talking about tonight without talking about that movie, because the two of them are very much intertwined. Uh, one inspired the other, and one greatly led to the popularity of the sequels. Uh, literally, Batman the Animated Series was in production at the same time Batman Returns was. Uh, there was a lot of kind of give and take, push and pull. Uh, the Bat brand uh, was really kind of coming to fruition at that point. But Batman the Animated Series. Uh, hold on, my notes are all the place. Debuted September 1992, which was about three months after Batman Returns hit theaters. Batman Returns was out in theaters in June. So if you were a kid in uh, summer of 92, Batman returned to theaters. And then just in time for, you know, fall to hit, bam, Batman cartoons on TV. And the look and sound and feel of Batman the Animated Series is in part very much inspired by the darker, edgier tone of the Tim Burton films. Um, even though Tim Burton is not a producer on the cartoon, despite that being everywhere on the internet, that's not, he was not involved with the cartoon. I'll put that out there, clear that. The people to thank for this cartoon are Bruce Tim, Paul Dini, and Mitch Bryant. Those are the three guys that godfathered this whole thing. Um, and in a weird way, so you know how I talked about, you know, if you want to start at the beginning of Batman, you have to start at Superman. If you want to start at the beginning of Batman the Animated Series, you have to thank Steven Spielberg in Tiny Toons. I don't know if you guys knew this or not, but uh. Warner Brothers Animation uh, basically kickstarted itself in the late 80s again because Steven Spielberg had a pitch for the Looney Tunes, but their kids. <laughs> and Warner Brothers was so happy just to get Steven Spielberg to work on any Warner Brothers thing. They basically revived the entire animation department of Warner Brothers to make Tiny Toons, uh, which then directly led to Batman the Animated Series. So, huh. thanks, uh, Tiny Toons. Not, not where I thought you were going, because I thought... I know, right? <laughs> I thought you were going to make a reference to like the aesthetic of the old Superman cartoons. Oh, the Mac, the the Fleischer Brothers Superman cartoons. We can talk about those. Uh, no, but that the, yeah. those were definitely an aesthetic uh, kind of linking. But literally, this project wouldn't exist. It wouldn't have had a budget to exist. The people who made it wouldn't be in the same room together if not for Tiny Tunes. So. I'm, I'm sorry. Before we get too far away from it, I want to. I, I got two Superman cartoon stories real quick. If that's oh, okay. okay. I'll make them quick. I swear. I, I don't. I don't know exactly if it's, it's if it's the Superman cartoons you were referring to, but one is I remember seeing a Superman cartoon way back when it told the origin of him coming to Earth. You know. Uh-huh. And and. Jonathan and Martha are driving down the road in their nice 1940s Ford pickup, you know, and everything. And the ship crash lands in the field. And so they go, they investigate, they see the baby. Martha's all, oh, can I keep it? And Jonathan's like, yeah, sure. Why the hell not? Uh, and in the next scene of this cartoon, like I said, I don't know what year this cartoon came out, is them pulling up in front of the adoption agency to adopt Clark with the spaceship in the back of the pickup. <laughs> it's just a rocket just in the back of a pickup like, okay so yeah sure let's, let's do this where'd you get him oh this thing out here all right yeah we can rush through the paperwork that's fine the other one the other story i got is it was the the old um uh super friends cartoon uh and you know how the super friends cartoon have like the little shorts in between 
main stories and stuff, little things here and there. I was with a friend of mine. We were eating lunch at uh, Gaddy Town in Louisville, Kentucky. I'm sorry for those northern listeners and 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 for all you who are in Louisville, Louisville, oh, Kentucky, yeah, Kentucky. And um, um, we decided to eat lunch in the cartoon room, and that's what was playing. And there was two moms with like three kids in there, and it was just us. We were eating, and, and and it was a short came up, and uh, this train was going uphill, and somehow or another, it 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 uh, it it lost, I guess, its grip on the tracks, and it started to slide back down. And so, Superman flies in to save the day, and he he catches the train, right? You know, and all of a sudden, he starts to slide backwards on the rails, and he's 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 trying to he, you know, his feet are working, and he's trying to stop the train, and 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 he he mutters, "Get get traction." And so I yell at the screen, then fly, you idiot. <laughs> have you forgotten you have this ability? I got some really nasty looks from mothers. They, they didn't like me. Well, that that does bring a nice segue, Scott. Uh, prior to Batman the Animated Series, previous animated not just batman but dc characters fell under very very strict scrutiny from the broadcast practices and standards uh also known as um bps uh, or bsp um yeah yeah BS. bsp broadcast standards we, practice bs we, there we you can go. just start stop at bs yeah yep um so yeah things like the the um super friends uh, and, and cartoons from the 70s and a lot into the 80s, there were very strict guidelines of what they could and could not do. They were terrified of kids trying to imitate something from a cartoon and getting hurt. So stuff like um, you couldn't show them hitting someone with a frying pan because a kid could get a frying pan and hit somebody with it. So they couldn't use any weapons. They couldn't actually like punch anything. And then this carried over into stuff like uh, Ninja Turtles in the 80s were like, they're ninja and they have weapons, but they're never allowed to directly use their weapon against an opponent um, because broadcast practices and standards wouldn't allow it. So part of the reason this show was so significant is it was a paradigm shift in broadcast practice and standards. And and uh, the, the show creators directly credit, and I did not write her name down because I'm a hack at my job, um, the the uh b s and p um like overseer for this show had an understanding with the creators and, and knew what they were trying to do the stories they were trying to tell the version of batman they were trying to do and worked with them so that this cartoon you could do things like batman punches a bad guy in the face or uh you know we don't have to have wacky looking you know, we can have like Two-Face can grab a Tommy gun and fire it at somebody. There were rules about, okay, well, they, they can't directly shoot anybody. I think in the entire history of the 80-some episodes of the show, only like two people ever actually get shot on the show. <clears throat> and how that's depicted is, is very, like, you know, left to the imagination kind of thing. Um, but she was willing to work with them around the rules and regulations to get through what they wanted the show to be like. And, and that was a big uh, influence on 
the tone and style of the show and the stories they were allowed to tell. But before we dive too far into that, Jay. Yeah. Your first memory of discovering Batman the Animated Series. Um, I will share it. But first, I was going to make a joke that when they got shot on the Batman animated Uh series, Uh did it go into like a funky kaleidoscope? No, this wasn't raking the best. <laughs> Good old their heads just bass. turned uh, <clears throat> black ash, and their their lips got turned around backwards like Daffy Duck. Yeah, that's, that's ah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. You're despicable. <laughs> um, I would say that honestly, my earliest memory of it is just like sitting at home, catching it in the afternoon. Uh, on like Cartoon Network. And oh wow. It yeah, it was not like I didn't watch it when it first started coming out, you know. Okay. It was like in syndication type stuff. And I was just like, "Oh. Okay. I yeah, this is nice." And I would watch it. Um and the I think what caught me every time was the um the opening music. Yeah. Like you knew it was on and then you just were like what are those are those zeppelins with spotlights? What what oh shit that's Batman. And then you just like watch the whole opening and you're like oh god this is awesome and then you get into the episode. And so yeah. it was like like I don't think I don't remember watching it like when it first was airing because I was a big Saturday morning, like, Spider-Man, X-Men, Saturday morning cartoon type person. So. Okay. Fair enough. My, yeah. Uh, cartoon well, Network like... was my first toe dip, I guess you could okay. say, into Batman the Animated Series. You never, It's never too late to discover Batman the Animated Series. Uh, I'm glad you brought up the opening of the show uh, for so many reasons. Um, so I, I fell down a, a Scott Cox style rabbit hole or well, uh, doing research for this episode. Um, that opening is a refined version of the pitch reel they use to sell the show. Uh, and for months, uh, we're, we're trying to debate over that last, um, uh, image you see of Batman on the roof where he's illuminated by the lightning strike. Um, what the font should look like and, and where they should put the wording and, and what it, and eventually they all agreed that opening itself, with no lyrics, no visible text on the screen. That was strong enough on its own. You didn't need to put the title Batman up there. If a kid watched that, they knew exactly what they were about to see. This is Batman. Which is why yep. there's not a single graphic uh, of of letters or text or word uh, or or you know singing lyrics. There's no wording at all in that opening two minutes. It is just straight up there. It is, and this is Batman, and you know it's Batman, um, which is bold and it was very risky at the time of of not putting like you know the name of the cartoon at the beginning of the cartoon. Uh, but they felt they was strong enough. They didn't need to because it it kind of tells you all you need to know right in that you know i don't even think it's two it's like a 90 second it tells you all you need to know man you got that pumping music that uh they they got um 
Danny Elfman to compose that opening theme. Uh, so he's sort of doing a riff on his own movie version. Um, they hired his uh, conductor, Shirley Walker, to do pretty much all the rest of the music on season one and two, I think. Um, so th- they were not slumming when it came to uh, the music. They were going after A-list talent. I would I would argue that there are two cartoon shows in, that I can think of, just two. Okay. That if you just played me the opening music, I would mm-hmm. tell you what cartoon it was. This and DuckTales. I wouldn't, I wouldn't need that. <laughs> Woo! Sorry, sorry. DuckTales. Woo! Uh, I wouldn't need that long to listen to it to tell you what it was. <laughs> um, and this and uh, X-Men. Oh, yeah. Talk about bumping theme songs. Uh, we'll get to that one, trust me. Uh, not this episode, but trust me, we'll do a whole episode on that. Uh, but so, uh, Scott, uh, what were your first memories of Batman the Animated Series? Well, listening to the Doc's account of how he uh, came across Batman the Animated Series and knowing that you two grew up together, um, I'm pretty sure I'm the only person on this show who watched it as it aired. Um, oh, I watched it weekday mornings when it first was on Fox Kids. Okay. Okay. So, um, um, this show was from 92 to 95. So, mm-hmm. literally, this show was while I was in high school. And I remember it coming out, and uh, my nerdy friends and I who play games and stuff just losing our shit over the fact that there was an awesome Batman cartoon series that was that was airing um and yeah i mean i was right there from the beginning uh and such now i always was really curious i remember being being quite uh, enthralled with the aesthetic of the show because you mentioned the zeppelins of course and 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 Mm -hmm. in, in our modern world we really haven't had um um dirigibles uh, since World War II, actually technically since before World War II. Um, and uh, so between that and the, the, the aesthetics of the car and the dress of the people is is very somewhat stylistic 1950s-ish. For a oh, show. it's earlier than that. It's, it's, it's full-on 1940s. I can see that too, yeah, 1940s, yeah, yeah. Um, but you know what I'm saying? It's not like strictly, mm-hmm. it's not strictly pre-World War II, but just aesthetically speaking, it was, it, it has that era to it. Um, but they never make any mention of year. Uh, and, and I, re- I remember being, being very, very enthralled with the aesthetic of the show. I liked the look of it. Um, uh, I, I liked the storytelling and everything, but yeah, I was right there from the beginning, uh, we were we were just uh, we were, as soon as it was announced and the first episodes aired and all that good stuff we saw commercials for it it's like holy shit this is awesome let's do it yeah. <laughs> um, that aesthetic you're talking about um, the production crew dubbed the the term dark deco um, it was a combination of dark because it was very heavily inspired by film noir from the 40s uh, deco because it was art deco as far as the architecture in, in Gotham City itself. Uh, but their basic concept for the design aesthetic for everything from cars 
to buildings to the way people dressed was essentially, uh, as Bruce Tim described it as, if the 1939 World's Fair never stopped, huh. uh, and, and that kind of aesthetic just continued 60 years later. So we have things like jets and computers and modern technology, but it all has the look and aesthetic of if it was built in the 40s. Like computer screens are all still black and white because uh, they're maybe you know still using tubes. Uh, and yeah, there's dirigibles floating around, even though Batman has a super high-tech jet. Um, everything had that kind of look and feel to it. So a gangster using a Tommy gun didn't feel anachronistic. It just felt, well, yeah, that's what they would use. Um, which is part of the, one of the things I love about the 89 film is that it has a very noir, timeless kind of look and feel to it. Uh, you can watch that movie nowadays, even though it's getting 30 past 30 years old uh and it, it doesn't look dated it still looks like it, it, it's it's like you said scott it's out of time it's sort of in its own like weird time bubble um yeah. it's almost like a like an alternate timeline sort of yeah. batman so like, like where you, you know things might have gone differently you know what i mean like uh-huh it, it's just I like it. I like the way it looks. <laughs> I really it's do. Not, yeah. So like you get stuff like steampunk, which is modern technology, but if you had steam engine uh, stuff to power it, and then there's like diesel punk, which kind of came out of uh, uh, the Fallout games, which is sort of like modern technology, but using 1950s tech to make modern. And, and this is sort of like you know dark deck goes with the use, but like yeah, again, if it's like 1939 tech to make modern technology, here's what it looks like. Uh, yeah, it. Well, you love it or hate it. It was very unique for the show, and it very much uh, carried the consistency with which that carried through every character and every episode. Um, for me, as as a kid, was cool because it, it wasn't just something we did for an episode and then we dropped it. It was it was there throughout the entire show. Um, that consistency was really cool to see. Um, but no, Scott, uh, my my, I, I was I was there watching it when it aired, uh, and I have Nancy Peacock to thank for that because she grew up watching Adam West, and when she she she, I was already a Bat fanatic because of the movies. So when she heard there was a new Batman cartoon on, she made sure I was plopped down right in front of it to see it. Uh, sure, she regrets it now, but uh, <laughs> you know, I, I have to say that is something I admire about your parents, sir. Oh. All this stuff that came about when you were growing up and everything, your your parents had the presence and forethought to say, this is something my child needs to be exposed to. They need to have this in their life. And they made it a point to bring it out to you. You know, not just this, but a lot of different things. Whereas where I grew up, it was a, it was central Kentucky and it was a cultural dead zone. And I didn't go see my first movie in theaters or anything <laughs> until I was like in high school. Because, yeah, it was like the exact opposite. It's, it was it was very much you don't need to see that type thing. <laughs> and well, I did. I, would, I did grow up in these sprawling metropolis that is Freeport, Illinois. So I, our movie theater I, had two screens. Uh, right, go ahead, Jay. I would. I would. Sorry, that's okay. Uh, I would just like to take a moment to thank my parents for having a movie collection. <laughs> that was easily accessible and contained rated R movies that they knew for a fact we were watching. Um, so thanks. But also apparently 
<laughs> Apparently, only had weird movies from you know you watched Alien Three first, right? Yes. <laughs> so, <laughs> A for effort, organization <laughs> maybe like a C. Hey, uh, they they also had what the hell was the name of that movie with the 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 western that had the girls in it? That would be like a lot of different westerns. Yeah, that was in there. Oh, Most of them have female actress, actresses. No, no, no. It was like the four the four main characters were all women. I don't know. Quick It'll come. You just, no, it's just the one. You, anyway. you, keep, you keep going. Okay. Well, so you, you've got The Gambler Returns, The Luck of the Draw with uh, Reba McIntyre, but there were also three other very strong female, uh, not fully leads, but in that movie. No? Okay. No, that's... I think another one Jay's talking about. It's like a CD '90s action exploitation kind of movie. But anyway, Batman. Staying on target. Um, so th- that's how we all get into Batman the Animated Series. And uh, see, I don't really have. I just have lots of random notes. Um, the show was just amazing. Uh, anyway, you cut it. So it was it was groundbreaking. Bad, bad girls. There you go. <laughs> okay. Put that to bed now. <laughs> The show was bad girl. What you gonna do? Sorry. Nope. 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 <laughs> show was groundbreaking uh, in a lot of ways. It pushed censorship on kids' TV shows. Uh, it, it pushed this whole new design aesthetic for Batman and for cartoons. Um, one of the things, uh, Scott, I know you'll love this if you don't already know this. One of the big design choices they made early on uh, that was very unusual is in order to keep things dark because they wanted the show to be dark again you know dark deco was the 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 running phrase all the backgrounds for the show were drawn on black paper so they didn't have to fill in the dark they had to paint with light on all black backgrounds for the show see you know that just sounds awesome to me just from a production standpoint, whoever came up with that idea is, in my mind, a genius. I didn't write down his name because I'm a hack at my job. But uh, <laughs> they were inspired <laughs> by, I guess, the opening shot of the 89 film where you see the city lit up at night. Yeah. And the guy was like, well, how do we replicate that? Because, again, you're doing animation, uh, weekly kids TV show animation. We don't have that huge of a budget. we got to simplify everything. And he did some just early sketches. And, and the idea hit him of... What if we just do it on black paper? That way I'm not always filling in the darkness. I'm painting the light onto the dark. And um, I forget his name. He, he did the early background sketches. And then independently, Bruce Tim was doing character design because Bruce Tim was a giant comic book nerd and couldn't help himself. <laughs> and the, the executive producer of the show, independently, these two guys came to the, the producer to show them the work. And, and, the, and uh, the producer was like, great. You guys just get together and do this, and and put the two of them together, and and the rest is history. So, so yes. What one thing I would I would like to bring up about this series that I loved, mm-hmm. um, and I still love. I think I think it's awesome. Is so, you know, you've got you you've got the 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 original nineteen sixties Batman with Adam West. And, and everything. And one of the big things that people remember, actually the two big things that people remember uh, uh, coming out of the uh, uh, the Adam West era is Cesar Romero as the Joker mm-hmm. 
and Burgess Meredith is the Penguin. Mm-hmm. And up until the 1960s, with the Adam West stuff and everything, Joker really, really wasn't that big of a Batman villain. Uh, he'd been in a few stories, but he wasn't like the forefront premiere that he is considered today. And 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 the 60s era had a lot to do with bringing him to the forefront, so much so that when we get Batman 89, the go-to villain that we get is the Joker with Jack Nicholson, who delivered a brilliant performance. Um, and then coming off the heels of that, we get, of course, Danny DeVito as, as the Penguin, which... Personally, I, I think uh, Danny DeVito's performance is, is highly underrated, and, and he suffered quite a bit from the really poor um, costume aesthetics that they gave him. But when we get to this series, uh, the animated series, the Joker does not appear in this series until episode seven. Um, we start with Catwoman, we go with Man Bat and Clayface, and you know, Man Bat was actually the first one. Oh, okay. I'm I'm just going off the IMDb movie the, the list. It's it's been a while since yeah, I've... the On Leather Wings was the pilot episode. Okay, um, but you know we get Mister Freeze, we get Clayface, we, we get all these other villains that that come to the forefront before we even get a Joker story. And when we finally get a Joker story, it's not really a Joker story. It's um um uh, it, it's a very I I think um uh, poignant story of you've got the 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 normal everyday guy who thinks he hates his life you know um until he's forced to assist joker in in some crimes and he realizes you know hey i i don't have it so bad and stuff so it it, we get to see the joker through the eyes of a normal person which is there was a graphic novel and i forget the year that came out just called joker which is a really great graphic novel which kind of repurposes that story a little bit um, now, granted, it's aesthetically different, uh, um, but uh, you, you've got a uh, you've got a, uh, a a low a low level like in the criminal underworld thing that you know he he basically becomes the right hand man of the Joker when he gets out of prison. Um, uh, so it's not not fully innocent. It changes a little bit, but it's kind of the same story. But I love the fact that we don't start this series with the Joker. We established well, it with other villains. That wasn't entirely intentional. intentional. But I'm glad you brought that up because oh. it's a perfect segue. Um, so we all know one of the legacies of this show and one of the things that made this show amazing is Mark Hamill's voice work as the Joker. Uh, we have to get around to talking about the voice cast on the show. Oh, yes. It's phenomenal. Um, there's nothing I can say about it that hasn't already been said. It is... It is de- defined joker for a generation uh mark hamill's uh, voice work is is amazing incredible uh unmatched to this day he is still in my mind the voice of the joker i'm sure you guys will agree with that however he was not the original joker uh he was not originally cast to play the joker another actor was and that actor had already recorded i believe two episodes Um, And then came down with a terrible case of bronchitis and they were forced with either delaying production on certain episodes or recasting. And Mark Hamill had come in as a favor to somebody to do a bit part in the Two-Face episodes. Um, It was Two-Face. It was Clayface. 
he did a bit part in no sorry the mr freeze episode he did a bit part in the mr freeze episodes he plays the um the business tycoon that cut the funding for mr freeze to save his wife and when he was doing that he said to the voice director like hey this was really fun i love batman do you have any other roles do you have any villains that haven't been cast yet and that's when she said well actually you're kind of having trouble with the joker and they brought him in to record, and he ended up re-recording those previous two episodes, which is why they aired later than they were intended to. Um, but the original Joker was Tim Curry. Huh. See, now I would love, I would love to hear yeah. Curry's Joker. Somewhere in the Warner Brothers animation vault, they've got at least two episodes of the Batman, the animated series with Tim Curry as the Joker. And why the F have we not gotten that as a bonus feature uh, or just release those episodes on a Blu-ray disc. I'll buy it right now. I'll buy it separately. Just shut up and take my money. Uh, I would kill to hear Tim Curry as a Joker. Uh, While we're on the subject of the Joker and Mark Hamill. Yeah. I just want to throw it out there that it took me way too long into my life to figure out that it was Mark Hamill as the Joker. Like, dude, no shame. Way too long into my life. Like, I was like, man, this guy that does the voice of the Joker is really good. I'm like, God, I wonder who this is. And I just remember thinking that as a kid, like, I really like the Joker's voice. I don't know who this is. And then later on in life, when I found out it was Mark Hamill, I was like, no. What? And if you want to see Luke Skywalker, if you want to see Mark Hamill doing the Joker voice uh, live in person without like, you know, you can YouTube it. Of course, there's different versions of it. But just watch uh, uh, Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back because he uses that voice when he plays Cockknocker. He uses a. A variation of that when he plays the trickster in the Flash too. Yes, yeah. yes, yes, yep. yes. Both, both not, the original nineties. Yes, and when he reprises the role. Yeah, yep. It's not quite full Joker. It's like uh, if Joker is that voice dialed up to eleven, then his trickster is like at a six. Yeah, uh, the, but you can hear it. Yeah, the trickster in Cockknocker version is like Joker on Ridlin. <laughs> yeah, I like that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but speaking of voice cast, because we got to talk about it, one of the things that made this show uh, and still makes this show just incredible. And again, the the thought process throughout the entire show was we're taking Batman seriously. We're not treating this as a Saturday morning kids cartoon. We're not going to water down or lessen the storytelling because it's, quote, for kids. We're going to make a show that kids can watch and will enjoy. But also, if mom or dad walks in the room, they're going to get hooked into. And the entire uh, um, mantra behind casting was don't cast goofy voices. Cast, and this is a quote from Andrea Romano, the voice cast director, cast voices with character. Which leads us to, we got to talk about it, the voice of Batman. Again, for a freaking generation, I am in my late 30s, and anytime I'm bringing a Batman comic, this is the voice in my head, Kevin Conroy. As Batman and Bruce Wayne. Yeah. Iconic. Um, just like it, it, it's 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 almost the if, if you take Mark Hamill's performance as the Joker, you take Kevin Conroy's as Batman. They, they, they are. Um, I can't remember the word right now. Two sides of the same coin, but um, dichotic. Sure. That they're a dyad a, in the force. 
Yeah, dichotic. Yeah, <laughs> they can transfer lightsabers without exactly, even knowing yeah. each other. Yeah, uh, no, don't, don't, don't even, don't even, no, don't even bring up that. Oh God. Moving right along. Here, but, uh, take my lightsaber. <laughs> but the fact Sorry. that Kevin Conroy was the, as far as I remember, the first actor to use two different voices for Batman and Bruce Wayne. You are correct, sir. He, he speaks differently. I also want to give him endless credit. Um, so he, he is, yeah, he's the first one to do Batman and Bruce Wayne in two different voices. You can argue that was done before Superman. Um, I f- forget the name of the voice actor from the Fleischer cartoons, but he did Superman and Clark Kent in two different ranges of his vocal um, uh, range. However, what I think is genius with Mar- or sorry, with Kevin Conroy, even his Batman voice, it's deeper, it's gravelier, but it's still conversational. He can still have dialogue and not sound ridiculous. Fast forward 20 some years and you get to <laughs> yeah, get ready, Jay. We're going there. You go to, to uh, Christian Bale's Batman where he's having entire dialogues like this. And his nose is kind of pinched because the mask is really tight. And I'm Batman. And this is the voice I chose to talk in. So I have to have pages of dialogue like this. Like It just gets grating. Mr. Fishy. Sorry, that was my oh, yeah. Mr. Fishy. So the genius of Kevin Conroy, is, even though he's he's making his voice deeper and getting a little, you know, it's it, it sounds him and Batman and Bruce Wayne are, are two different ranges. Batman doesn't go so over the top as to become goofy and cartoony with the dialogue Batman has to carry. Uh, that I think that's the genius behind Kevin Conroy's Batman. No, I, I I haven't I haven't seen it. Uh, because I don't watch the WB stuff, but when when they did the full on crossover with the Arrowverse and the the Flash verse, whatever uh-huh. it is, um, didn't didn't we get Kevin Conroy finally live on screen? Yes, but he's not Batman. He's Bruce Wayne. Well, he still wasn't in a bat suit, not doing not doing Batman. He was he was um, older Bruce Wayne, sort of like Kingdom Come Bruce Wayne. Okay, I, I I knew he was tapped, but like I said, I've never seen those um, because I don't follow them that much. But uh, but but I knew I, I thought he was tapped for it. I just didn't know exactly. Uh, he he is in it, but again, he, he he's and this is again, and I've had this debate with people a million times over. Kevin Conroy is definitely the greatest voice actor to ever do Batman, but he still never played Batman. He has never put on a giant fifty one hundred fifty pound rubber suit and been told to act. Um, that, that he's a voice actor and he's an amazing voice actor. Still, has not put on a bat suit for a role. So, and, and, um, and even one, I'm fine with him being my uh, my my top Batman. I, yeah. He's my my top pick for Batman because not only is he in you know the animated series here, um, but also you know both he and Mark Hamill, of course, reprise their roles as voice actors for the the Arkham games. Yeah, um, we'll get to the legacy of the game. Um, but yeah, those two, Kevin Conroy and Mark Hamill, uh, for decades to come, would be synonymous with voice acting with those characters. Um, but I want to take some time and, and get a pass. Those, those two are fantastic. No doubts, no arguments here. I did not realize how deep this bench was until I really started pouring into it for the show. I remembered um, stuff like... Go ahead, Jay. I was just going to say, before we get into the rest of the yeah. cast, can I share my Kevin Conroy story? Sure. 
uh, I, I think I told you guys this story, and I just but I want to share it for other listeners out there. Uh, so Kevin Conroy was at Lexington Comic and Toy Convention, and I went to go meet him. And uh, I was very excited to meet him, you know, voice of my childhood, the voice of Batman, super stoked. Uh, but I was behind these two guys that uh, the entire time just kept talking about Kevin Conroy. And then when they met Kevin Conroy, the voice of Batman, one of them did a Batman voice to <laughs> Kevin Conroy. Is it horrible? Yes. And I was like, don't be that guy. Don't be that guy. Don't be that guy. Don't be that. Like, I'm standing there dressed as Deathstroke of all people. Uh, so he's already with, that guy. Right. Dressed as Deathstroke, waiting to meet Batman. Uh, and he's like, I just hear the guy go, yeah, you know, I'm considering getting into some voice acting. And I was like, oh, shit, he's going to yeah. do a Batman voice. <laughs> he is going to do Batman to Batman. And he did. And I was like, oh, my God. And then I felt so bad for Kevin Conroy because he had to deal with those two guys in front of me that the only thing I said to him was, hey, you're awesome. I really enjoyed you as Batman. Like, you made my childhood. Uh, just sign the picture with something really cool. Yeah. I'm very <laughs> sorry for the rest of the human race like those jackasses you have to deal with. You, you know, should have walked up super- in full cost and then be like, man, can you believe those nerds? <laughs> right. <laughs> Get a life, guys. Jeez. I couldn't believe it. Like, I could not believe that you're going to meet a a voice actor and you're going to do voice acting for them. Like, God. Now, (sighs) I I can't say too much because I kind of did this as well. You did a Batman voice to Batman? I did not do a Batman voice to Batman. Okay. Oh, no. So many, many years ago, I think it was before you, before the three of us met and, and you know, starts our thing. Um, BotCon was held here in Lexington for Transformers. And it was my, it was my, it's not as bad as you think. Hang on. It's not as bad as you think. Cause I know where your mind is going. <laughs> you're not entirely wrong, but it's not the same. It, it's not, it's not what you're thinking. And I went. It was the first convention I'd really ever attended. Um, and Peter Cullen was going to be there. The voice of Optimus Prime. You know. Did you I, did you yell Autobots roll out? I did not. I did not. <laughs> I got to meet Peter Cullen. And I, and I don't mean get an autograph. I mean I got to, to meet and chat with him. Because uh, a friend of mine kind of had an inside track. And we were talking. And we were chatting and stuff, you know. And um, I forget how the conversation got there. And and, and you know, but a lot of people do their Optimus Prime impressions, right? Right. Know, I can't do Optimus Prime. I know that. But Peter Cullen, the original series, did Ironhide, and it came to that. And I'm like, I I always thought I did a, a pretty passable Ironhide impression. And so I did Ironhide for Peter Cullen. To which he responded, because it was from the movie, from the 1986 movie, to which he responded with Prime's follow-up line. And we kind of ran a little bit of a scene. And it was awesome. Oh, nice. So you got what that nerd in front of Jason wanted. Yeah. 
See, now, if that nerd would have walked up and done, like, a Robin voice and thrown a quote, maybe maybe Kevin Conroy would have come back at him. But... Come back with the follow-up line. Exactly, yeah. Uh, random tangent, Scott, because I was thinking about it when you said that when the three of us met. Uh, I just think about that time me and you were walking through the Lexington Comic and Toy Convention, and you and I were having a conversation about something, and Kevin Sorbo was just like, oh, hey, yeah. And like just started, you know, yeah, chatting, chatting yeah, was, with us. It was yeah, it was during setup. Nobody of the con hadn't opened yet. He was still putting out his pictures and stuff. Yeah, and we and had you're just with Kevin Sorbo. Yeah, we were me and you were just talking, and then Kevin Sorbo joined our conversation. Well, and I was like, Hercules. Yeah, well, it's funny you met. Well, because actually, I'm I'm in the middle of a rewatch of Andromeda right now, but. Uh, it's funny, funny you mentioned that. I was talking with somebody about that who had met Kevin Sorbo a couple of times at conventions and everything and was talking about, you know, what kind of an ass he was. And I'm like, really? I I had a pleasant experience with Kevin Sorbo. I mean, we we chatted. It was great. He talked about Hercules. We chatted about our, uh, Andromeda. I, I didn't get – I don't know if it was because it was before the con opened and we had vendor tags on and so he kind of recognized us as – uh, somewhat kindred and not just straight fans. I, I don't know, but yeah, we had a right. great chatting with him. <clears throat> sorry, Batman. Sorry, John. Batman. Yeah, yeah. Hercules in space. Wait, sorry. No. Wait, what? Apparently, the secret to getting nice reactions from notoriously grumpy celebrities is to talk to them before the con opens. Because I had a very similar experience with um, Michael Bean when I met him. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. Story for a different time. So. Voice cast, stacked bench. We already got Kevin Conroy and Murray Camel. Clive Revel as Alfred. Adam West as the Grey Ghost. Uh, one episode, but I still had to put it on there because it's an awesome episode. Richard Mole as Two-Face. Scott, I know you know that name. Oh, uh, Arlene Sor- uh, Sorokin as the original Harley Quinn. Paul Williams as Penguin. Adrian Barbeau as Catwoman. John Vernon as Rupert Thorne. John Glover as Riddler, uh, fans yeah. of Smallville and uh, Gremlins should know that name. Roddy McDowell from freaking Planet of the Apes is the oh, Mad Hatter. Ron Roddy. Goddamn Perlman as Clayface, which I had forgotten about until I rewatched that episode the other day. Uh, David Warner as Raz Al Ghul. Mark Singer, the Beastmaster himself, as what else? Man Bat. Ed Asner as Daggett. Michael Gross, yes, Michael Gross, Burt <laughs> Gummer uh, as Lloyd Ventrix, Kate Mulgrew as the Red Claw, Helen Slater as Talia Al Ghul, Treat Williams as Professor Milo, and Michael York as Count Vertigo. And that's just where my hand fell off from writing so many names. So, wait, wait, Treat Williams? Treat Williams. <laughs> so Now what? From Hang Deep on. Rising himself, yeah. I, I got. I got to go back. Who did you say is Alfred Pennyworth? Uh, Clive Revel. Because I'm looking at IMDb now, and it says Ephraim Zimbalist Jr. 54 episodes is Alfred Pennyworth. Uh, okay, hold on a sec. Uh, Wait, did you say Ephraim Cochran? My list. No, not Zephram Cochran. He invented warp drive <laughs> in the Star Trek universe. <laughs> <laughs> Um, uh, scroll through all I like that we're all just immediately going to our Googles. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm just, yeah, I, of course, I had it pulled up here because I'm, I'm, I'm doing it as reference and stuff. But yeah, he's he's voiced Alfred in Justice League, Starcross, Justice League, Batman, Mystery of the Batwoman. Uh, okay, according that's... to Wikipedia, Clive Revel, Alfred Pennyworth. Uh, well, IMDb disagrees. I don't well, know. Which, I don't know. Nerds which, can fight but... it out on the internet. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't even see that name. Uh, on uh, hang on, let me go to all casting crew where it goes uh, away. Maybe he did a few episodes and then. Lord, you guys know that a lot of people worked on this. Yep. Did you guys know that Mark Hamill was in Batman the Animated Series? No, no, that, that's a that's a vicious internet rumor. <laughs> uh, sorry, give me that name one more time, please. I'm sorry. Live Revel. Clive Revel. Neville Sinclair. Okay, Clive Revel as Alfred Pennyworth, three episodes. Ah, okay. Apparently so he was Wikipedia to update itself. Yeah. Ooh, Jim Cummings did real Jekko in three episodes? This, of course, being the Fuck voice of Darkwing Duck. I don't know, but it's the voice of Darkwing Duck. I don't know who Duck. real Jekko is. Well, so he's in there. Good for him. <laughs> Like I said, the, the voice cast for this show is a stacked bench. It is. Uh, I didn't know that there was a Lucius Fox appearance in the animated yeah. series. Yeah, I remember he's this. He's the guy that does the Batmobile, right? Yeah, he he get, he's the mechanic for the Black, Batmobile. And um, uh, it, it's basically the one where he gets blackmailed or, yeah, blackmailed into sabotaging the Yeah, by the Penguin. Mobile. Yeah. And uh, he 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 gives uh, Batman a warning by telling him that his daughter is down in the basement, and in the basement was racing code talk for um, trouble. Yep. Yeah. You see Batman's first Batmobile before he has him fix it up. Yeah. Uh, it's a fun episode. Uh, Ed Asner. I already said that. Yeah. Oh. Sorry. It's okay. I listed off like 30 names. It's fine. Yeah. Okay. Ed Begley Jr. Uh, does three episodes. Yeah, I know. The, the, I mean, if you just look through all this, you're going to find a who's who of just awesome talent. Carmen Zapata? I don't know who that is. I was just saying a name. He's naming names now. Gotcha. <laughs> oh, Dick Gautier does two episodes as a cop. That's just funny to me. But you all don't know who Dick Gautier is, so it's okay. Nope, I do not. So he played Jaime in um, Get Smart. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, so Rene Albergenois plays Dr. March in two episodes. Hey, uh, Tim Curry does have a credit in one episode. Oh? As Leon's henchman. Hmm. Uh, there's also a dot, dot, dot. I don't know... Yeah, it, it wasn't uncommon for them to be if you were already on the payroll for one character. I think there's a there's literally a law about how many other additional voices you're allowed to do before they have to pay you more money. So if they had someone in the studio doing a character, it's not uncommon for them to have them do a different random voice somewhere in an episode just to save money. We, we have an episode I, with John Reese Davies. Oh, really? Baron Wakla Jozek. See, I've got to go rewatch this series now just to find these people. Yeah. I just, I cannot believe that. Oh, hey, LeVar Burton. Oh, I haven't got to him yet. Who, who's he? 
He is a Hatter henchman. Uh, That's crazy. Hey, hey, um, henchmen are key roles. Let me tell you. Oh, Scott, Michelle Nichols. Okay, does uh, one episode uh, as Thoth, 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 not Sauce. Now I'm not saying Sauce with like a lisp. It's T H O T H Thoth. Wow, uh, Capera, Capera, Caper, Caper, Capoeira, Capoeira. Thoth. You got to put some Thoth on that potatoes. That's just so wrong. We <laughs> do not condone the making fun of people with, with speech impediments, despite what the doc may say. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh, God. <laughs> so wrong. Uh, sorry. All right, so while you guys are scrolling through IMDb, uh, yes, yes, we one, are. Of the, one of the things... Uh, that made the show a huge hit among hardcore fans, not just uh, kids, was their tendency to adapt straight comic book stories uh, into cartoon episodes. Uh, And granted, they weren't always necessarily verbatim comic to this, but among other storylines, the episode Appointment in Crime Alley is an adaptation of Detective Comics number 557 uh, called... There is no crime alley. Uh, Robin's Reckoning, which is one of my favorite two-parters because it was the first time I ever learned how Robin became Robin, uh, was taken from Batman and Robin the Boy Wonder, uh, Detective Comics number 38, all the way back in 1940. Uh, the Laughing Fish, one of the greatest Joker episodes, was based on pieces from three different comic books. Um, Batman number 251, Detective Comics 475 to 476, titled, hold on, I can't read my handwriting, Joker's Five-Way Revenge, The Laughing Fish, and Sign of the Joker. Uh, And then in one of the best two-parters on the entire show, and another one that introduced me to a character that before this cartoon I had no idea existed, uh, the two-parter episode Demon's Quest, parts one and two, um, was adapted from the daughter of the demon and the demon lives again. Um, Batman number 232 and 244 from Danny O'Neill and Neil Adams, which of course in the cartoon introduced us to Ra's al Ghul. Um, So this, this series, I didn't watch, I I didn't read a lot of, of Batman comics, you know, growing up stuff. I was mainly a Marvel person for comics. Um, and, and even today, I don't read a lot of Batman comics. I, I just kind of let the 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 world at large distill out the better ones, and I read the, the 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 trades and graphic novels later. But this series was my first introduction to Ra's al Ghul, um, and and yeah, it, it, he's he's a character I wish would take a lot more of the forefront. I loved, um, yeah, what's his name? The, the actor dude that, you know, Liam Neeson. Yeah, there you go. I'm going to find you. I have skills. I can kill you. Blah, blah, blah. Um, <sighs> yeah, I loved I love his his take on Ra's al Ghul. It was it was very good. Well, Scott, if you love Ra's al Ghul, you'll love last week's episode. Where <laughs> <laughs> you showed up as Sorry. a villain. Um, um, yeah, and that's one of the things me and Jay kind of talked about before we started the show is uh, me being a kid of a certain age. Um, again, my my full knowledge of Batman was some random episodes of the Adam West show, 
So, like, I knew Joker was a bad guy and Penguin was a bad guy and Riddler was a bad guy. I don't know anything about them. Uh, and then Batman 89, uh, which exists kind of in its own continuity to everything. So this show, for me, was my earliest education in Batman lore. Uh, literally 90% of what I know about Batman, uh, up until I started reading the comics when I was in college, was directly tied back to this show. Um, and to its credit, the show never steered me wrong. Uh, I never threw information out about a character because I saw it on the show and someone like corrected me because uh, the show did a really good job of adapting comics. And in some cases, flat out improving on characters who were lackluster in the comics. And in some cases, flat out inventing brand new characters who later appeared in the comics, but were created for this show. Uh I just want to yeah. throw out one other thing okay. because I would be remiss if I didn't bring this up to this specific group of individuals. So, you know, said, you know, you, you were going to go on while you're we scrolling through IMDb. Mm-hmm. What'd you find? Uh, Ernie Hudson. Hey! <laughs> Who did he play? Ernie Hudson. He was a security guard for one oh, episode. Okay. <laughs> Dude on street <laughs> number four. I just I was roll, scrolling through and I was like, okay, if I don't bring this up to these guys, I, I feel like I will miss an opportunity. Thank so, you, Jay. So Ernie Hudson has does he show of, up two thirds of the way through the season? <laughs> like, does he show up two thirds of the way through the the well, TV he's a the episode? Guard. There was a steady paycheck then, in it, so. <laughs> and then he and then they remember that he was part of it and so that he had lines. So what I was getting at. Um, <laughs> Some of the things, if we talk about the legacy of this show and what it's known for and its legacy even now, um, one of the biggest things you have to give it credit for uh, is that it basically reinvented Mr. Freeze. Oh, yeah. Who prior to this show was basically, oh, he he, he's, he's, he does cold stuff. He, you know, Otto Preminger on the 66 show and yeah. a handful of appearances on Super Friends. And that was about it. Yeah, they gave him that. Uh, yeah, this show uh, came along and, and and they decided, well, we don't want him to be just a random generic cold guy. Um, let's give him a backstory. Let's make him a sympathetic character. And the origin they came up with for Freeze has been the default origin for Mr. Freeze from that day forward. Um and something else I learned just tonight from that documentary I didn't get to finish. Uh, <laughs> the design of uh mr freeze in this show came from uh, apparently bruce tim reached out to some friends he had or people he had contacts with in the comic book industry to come help do some character design work mike magnolia creator of hellboy did the design for the batman animated series mr freeze nice awesome uh and then it was ruined by arnold schwarzenegger in batman <laughs> and robin what killed the dinosaurs the ice age. You want to play some Diablo? We can go find Blal. 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 Wow. Just, just Everybody, wrong. chill. <laughs> so wrong. Would you like me to quote some Star Trek? Star Trek is a bitch. Next year, cold. It's a Klingon proverb. 
Take two and call me in the morning. Whoa. I'm Hans and Hans Franz, and we are here to pump you up. Oh, wait, that's a different. Sorry. I got, got sidetracked there. Uh, thank you. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> so, Warp speed five. Engage. Um, bringing, bringing us back to topic. Oh, yeah. Sorry, Mr. Priest. <laughs> yeah, well, no. Just, Given, you know, what you were talking about with things that were, you know, brought into this series that that carried off past this series Mm -hmm. and enduring legacies. There's one very big one we haven't talked about. I would. Yes. And that's that, in my opinion, is the one black mark against this series. Oh, yeah. Okay, hot take coming in. Take it away, Commander Scott. I think we're we're talking about the same thing, right? And and that is the introduction of the character of Harley Quinn. Yeah. God, I hate Harley Quinn. Well, put a pin in that for just a sec. We're going to come back. Just hold on. So, yeah, if you're going to talk about the enduring legacy of this show, uh, and, and I think it's fairly common knowledge among nerds like us, but if you're a more casual fan... Harley Quinn did not exist before this series. Um, they were drawing henchmen for a Joker episode, and I believe it was Bruce Tim thought, well, it'd be fun to give him a female uh, hench, hench woman and sort of design this character. And and they brought in, um, um, I already forgot her name because I'm Arlene. terrible at my job. Thank you. Uh, Arlene Sorkin to do the voice. And they liked it so much when the next Joker episode came up, let's put her back in. That was fun. Uh, And eventually uh, she became a recurring character, became very very popular. They did an entire episode, uh, Mad Love, which kind of gave you the origin uh, for Harleen Quinzel, um, because we didn't know anything at that point. And and she became so popular that she transcended this animated series and made the leap into the comics and then into feature films. And that's, I believe, where Scott's going to take over. Well, so... So going going into this, you've got the character of Harley Quinn, okay, a, a female foil to the Joker, uh, a yin to his yang. Uh, you know, I, I can I can get that. You know, I I understand why they did it, and it's fine. Arlene Sorkin does a wonderful job voicing this character, um, and it really is a good character. I I I, I can't fault them for that. The thing that I can fault them for and I hate is twofold. One, I hate her origin story. So first of all, her name is Harley Quinn, which is... No, no, no. Harleen Quinzel. Hang on. Okay. (laughs) Which is a play on Harlequin. Mm -hmm. You know. But then, oh, we got to tie it into her real name of Harley Quinzel. This is just fucking stupid. It's annoying as shit. Because Joker's real name is not, oh, I am Francois Joker. No, no, it's not. It's just Joker. He just. He I'm, just, I'm he, not a Victor Freeze. No, no, exactly. <laughs> that too. But, but, but. Wait, his, his name's not Joker? But, but Victor Freeze was, was not, that wasn't the fault of the writers. That was, that was early comics. <laughs> They were going off of what they had sorry. to work with. His delivery on the name joke. <laughs> yes, yes. Sorry, sorry, Scott. Um, Jason got me to try it. So, so yeah, I, I just, you know, the fact that she couldn't just adopt Harley Quinn as a, as a nom de guerre 
Uh, no, we have to go with Harley Quinzel. Second of all, she is a clinical psychologist who is seduced by the Joker. I'm sorry. The Joker is a manic, you know, schizophrenic character. He is not a a a a, uh, a, a charismatic. Um, um, uh, I, I don't know what the, the 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 proper term is for it, but he 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 doesn't he that that is not in his repertoire. He does not psychologically take people and turn them against their core self. And anyone who has gone through school enough to become a clinical psychologist, I'm sorry, they're they're not just going to go, oh, Mister J. No, I'm sorry. It's just annoying as shit. It makes no damn sense. Like her entire backstory is bullshit. It it it, it just it, it it's it's annoying. And the fact that everybody latched on to this character after this and became so damn popular that we've gone all the way up to the the last time we saw her on screen was the Suicide Squad Squad, where literally her entire storyline in that movie is serves nothing more to, than to give us redundant exposition on other scenes that we've already had the same fucking exposition on. It's just redundant. There's no point to her well, entire part of that story. Because Harley's fault that it was a bad script. Because <laughs> yes, she serves no point the entire second half of that movie. No, none. Tell uh, us how you really feel, Scott. Yeah. I, I I thought he was going to go a different direction with that because my my frustration with the character of Harley, I, I don't mind the origin story. I, I think people can get doctorates and still be fucked up uh, and, and can latch on to people who shouldn't be latched on to. I don't have a problem buying into that. My problem with the character is she's become female Deadpool in that <laughs> she has become so oversaturated in every comic uh, she was literally only ever in Suicide Squad comics for maybe like a couple of years before they had to throw her on the movie team because we wanted to see Harley in a movie and the character in none of those movies has ever had any point being on any of those teams because uh, she brings nothing to the party. Um, but that, again, that's faulting the, the character for a bad movie choice. Uh, but my point being, the character has become so overdone. I am just sick. I'm tired of it. I get it. And I'm really tired of all these fans who completely mis- misunderstand the point of the relationship between Joker and Harley. If you're a kid who looks at that relationship and thinks, oh, I want a guy like that. You've missed the fucking point. And you, at that point, just deserve whatever's coming to you. You're not wrong. You're not wrong. That is not a healthy relationship. That is a toxic relationship. They are not star-crossed lovers destined to be. Joker doesn't give a shit about Harley unless she can help him right now in that moment. That's why he always just leaves her and lets her get captured because he doesn't give a shit about Harley. It's an abusive, one-way relationship. It is not something to be emulated. Sorry, rant over. You're not wrong. Um, I went yeah. hot topic for that one. Wait, the, the the mall shop? Yeah. Okay, I gotta know why why hot. They topic. know why. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, it's the whole 
marketing of the character has 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 completely turned it into. Uh, oh no, they're not uh, two psychotic people in an entirely toxic relationship. No, they're the new Bella and Edward. You should definitely buy the journals and the T-shirts yeah. and all the stuff that has them on it. Because look, they're they're so cute together. Like they, we commercialized <laughs> it to the point that it's no longer recognizable for what it's supposed to be. Uh, and <laughs> maybe not entirely hot topics fault, but it didn't <laughs> help. That was funny. You, you got me, John. You got me on that one. <laughs> Yeah. Hot topic knows what they did. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Knows. <clears throat> so uh where were we? Oh yeah, legacy. <laughs> so for better or worse, uh, Harley Quinn uh directly created for this show. I just wanna I wanna go back, I wanna circle back on something. Um Okay. Because I don't know if you were gonna talk about it eventually or not, but I, I was like, just gonna no, find so scatterbrained, I don't even know. Yeah. Um I just want to circle back on that Raza Ghoul yeah. thing. That episode, one of, I can't remember which one specifically, but it is an episode that sticks in my mind. And I think I only saw it one time. And that was the the fight between Batman and Raza Ghoul on the side of a volcano. Yep. Where Batman is not wearing his cape or cowl. Because Roz knows who he is, and he's like, Roz is like, fight me like a man, basically. Fight me who for who you are. Mm-hmm. And that's like that episode just sticks in my head for that one fight scene on the side of the volcano. That is directly taken from the comics. Oh, yeah. I love it. Those, I, those, I mean, yeah, it's, it's the Demon's Quest is that two-parter, yep. and that is yep. directly taken from the comics. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I love Ra's al Ghul in, in this series. I also love, you know, I mean, the fact that, you know, David Warner just does yeah. such a beautiful job voicing uh, the character of Ra's, lending that that Shakespearean quality to mm-hmm. him that that most of uh, other of uh, uh, Batman's rogues gallery, of course, up to that point really had not had not uh, demonstrated. Um, but I think one thing that that when I was watching the series originally, uh, always stood out to me with their portrayal of Ra's al Ghul. And I've never read enough of the comics to know if this was influenced by the comics or if later comics was influenced by this, but the fact that he calls him detective. He never calls him Batman. He never nope. calls him Bruce. He calls him detective. Sometimes in, in my favorite interactions, condescendingly calls him detective. Yes, yes. When, when Batman's slow on the uptake, <laughs> detective, like he, he says yeah. it was such a, yeah. It's either with reverence or, yeah, like you said, condescending. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I, I love that that whole thing. Um, and, and I wish, as much as I did love Liam Neeson's performance, I wish it would have had a little bit more of the David Warner in it than we got on screen. But. My problem with the Batman Begins version of Roz, uh, first of all, is they mispronounced his name the entire movie. Um, and <laughs> then they changed the League of Assassins to the League of Shadows because the League of Assassins, I guess, was too on the nose because the League of Shadows sounds so much better. Uh, and then by the time you get, again, we have the whole twist because the whole first act, we're told that Ken Watanabe is Roz Elgul. And that Liam Neeson is Ducard, who's like his right-hand man. 
And then we get the the big twist uh, going into Act Three. Uh, that nope, surprise! I'm not really Ducard. I really am Ra's al Ghul. And okay, cool. And then he's there long enough to get his butt kicked and lose to Batman. And that's we 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 never saw him again. Uh, and it's it's like by the time we realize who he is, he's just there to get killed off. Sorry, he's there to not get saved by Batman. Um, the Batman doesn't have to kill him, but he doesn't have to save him. Uh, and it's just like great actor and could have been really really interesting in that role. I don't think he ever got enough to do with it. Uh, Especially for a character who's known from coming back from the dead, that would have been cool to do for the third movie, guys. Sorry, no, I'm just first of all, for, first of all, it's pronounced Raish, Raish Al Ghul. It's like uh, nails on a chalkboard to me. Ra- yeah, Raish Al Ghul. <laughs> and then Raz uh, Al Ghul. Yeah, Raish Al Ghul. And then uh, secondly. We get another Al Ghul in the third one. We get Talia. For about five minutes. And as soon as we learn who she is, she's there to die in a truck. Yay. So like no, father, no, she's daughter. there for more it's, than five minutes. It's, she's the, uh, it's the family legacy at that point. Yeah. yeah. No, no. Talia. By the time they reveal she's Talia, she's there just to get killed off. She does yeah. fuck all after they reveal her Tal- as Talia. Talia Al Ghul. Talia, right? And Raish. Yeah, and Talia as, and as someone... Again, as someone whose first introduction to those characters, to the Al Ghul family, was this series, where Talia appears in multiple episodes and has that uh, I love you, but I'm kind of an antagonist relationship. Uh, that was something when, when when they first said, hey, Talia Al Ghul might be in this movie. I'm like, oh, man, that'd be awesome because that's a really cool relationship. And and just, it, I was so let down by the movies because the show did it so much better. And it's a kid's show, guys. It's a kid's cartoon from the 90s. You could not do that, Chris Nolan? Well, you all... You always have another opportunity to get a new Ra's al Ghul. <laughs> Not letting him get to me. Um, but that's, uh, that's, speaking of that, uh, and again, this is my education for Batman. There are so many characters that I didn't know existed, and this is my first uh, introduction to. Not just Ra's al Ghul and Talia al Ghul. Clayface, Bane, <coughs> Clock King. Um, they really, really delved into the the sometimes C and D tier level of Batman villains to give you cool characters. And even though they were maybe some lesser characters, they never treated them that way. They always stepped up their game to to try to bring them. You know, Mad Hatter is not really that much of a threat to Batman, but the Mad Hatter episodes were awesome. Um, well, even um, oh crap, uh, the Ventriloquist. Oh they yeah, like two or three episodes, and it was wonderful every time they did. Uh, Killer Croc character I didn't know existed till this show. Like just so much, so many Batman characters. Uh, Scarecrow. There you go. Scarecrow is somebody I did not know was a Batman villain until I saw the episode with Scarecrow, where I want to say he made Batman afraid of heights. Yep. Something like that. It's been a while since I've watched the series, which I'm going to do after we get done here. As I'm going to start rewatching this. Yeah, I want to go back and watch it again. Just the opening. I just want to watch the opening with the Zeppelins. <laughs> uh, um, let's let's see. See. Is there anything I had written down we didn't cover yet? Uh, well, I'll just say this. The, oh, the, oh. Go ahead. There's just I, I think there's one thing we haven't talked about. Okay. I mean we we kind of glossed over it a little bit. But the Batmobile from this show. Oh it's yeah. very 89 reminiscent. Oh, I love it. Just the the length, 
the boxy yet curviness of it. Giant cigar car. Oh, God. Yes, there are. um, I think it's Walmart is selling like. It's like a combo set. It comes with like a little Batman like standee figurine that's probably maybe a half inch tall. Mm-hmm. And then a Batmobile. And they have, you know, the 89 Batman and the um those they have it's the a die cast car, right? Yeah, and they have the yeah, tumbler. Yeah, there's, there's a whole rabbit hole of those things, man. Yeah, yeah, and I know one of them is the Batman animated series, and every time I see it, I'm always like, Megan, I want that one. I want the Batman animated series diecast uh, Batmobile. You should see the toy line they did uh, a couple of years ago when they made the full Batmobile for that. Because I remember being very disappointed with the Batmobile that came out based on this one when we were kids. Because you could only fit one person in it. And the conceit was that like you slid the back part of it off and it had wings that popped out. So it was two vehicles in one. But that gimmick made it so that like the Batmobile never really worked very well as just the Batmobile. Um, but they did one a couple years ago for the the newer toy line that was just like phenomenal. Two seater canopy pulled back, lights on the interior it was awesome. Yeah. Crazy expensive, uh, but awesome. I I would I would drive that Batmobile. That's a uh, that's a sweet Batmobile, man. <laughs> Sorry. See, now I yeah. want to go to eBay and see if my Batmobile is available. What's your Batmobile? Your Batmobile. Well, the Adam West 1960s you know, well, yes bubble and no. canopy. Yeah, yes and no. Um, um so when I was growing up there was a there was a toy of the Batmobile that was reminiscent of the Adam West 1960s uh Lincoln Futura Batmobile. Uh, combined with like the 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 Justice League or the, the Super Friends era Batmobile, it was a toy. Uh, I had it growing up and stuff, and it was cool because it had a battering ram front that you would hit a button, and the the front part of it would spring load out. I think it had an ejector seat, had a like a missile and stuff on it, and it was just a really cool toy. And now I want to see if I can find it because it's part of my childhood, and I want it back. Damn it! Yeah, we, we all have those feelings. It's okay. It's okay. No, what I was just gonna say, Jay. Um, as far as talking about the legacy of the show, um, I'm gonna throw some numbers at you real quick. So. It ran from September 1992 to September 1995 for a total of 85 episodes because it was made for syndication. Um, It ran for decades after that in syndication. It was nominated for 11 daytime Emmys. It won four, including Outstanding Writing in an Animated Program, Outstanding Animated Program, Outstanding Music Direction and Composition, and Outstanding Sound Editing, all of which well-deserved. It helped launch the Box Kids Network, uh, or not, not not network the uh, whatever their Saturday morning lineup was, which which would later go on to feature X Men and um, 
uh, Spider-Man and Power Rangers and, and all things 90s. Um, and it, it it became an institution, man. It became the, the, the bar, the gold standard for Batman animation. It, it lived on. It obviously the same group of people went on to make uh, the New Adventures of Superman cartoon. And swung back around to this again with Justice League and Justice League Unlimited, where, again, we had um, Kevin Conroy back as Batman. Uh, and like we talked about a little earlier in the show, Kevin Conroy, just look at his IMDb, man. There are so many cartoons and direct-to-DVD cartoon movies and video games and animation projects where he is the voice of Batman. I mean, this one gig got that guy work for like 30 years, man. Uh, and still to this day, when you're voice casting a Batman project, someone's going to bring up Kevin Conroy. Yeah. Yeah. Want to call Kevin Conroy? Yeah. No. Okay. Uh, I think he's retired from the voice like twice. So uh, just call the, call the two guys that were in line in front of me to meet Kevin Conroy. I know Same Mark thing. Hamill has announced retiring from Joker, but then he came back out of it because Warner Animation decided to do an animated version of The Killing Joke. Uh, and he, he always wanted to do that. Um, but I believe it's him and Kevin Conroy in Killing Joke. Uh, and I believe he, he, Mark Hamill, has said that was his final Joker voiceover. So at least as of the time of this recording, I think that's his last one. But I mean, that's what I got. He's he's too busy not being Luke Skywalker. He's <laughs> too busy getting paid to just voice himself at a younger age. Uh, any other <laughs> tidbits, things you want to bring up, stuff you liked? Uh, we didn't really get a chance to talk about. I mean, there's there's so much we can talk about. Uh, again, th- this sort of defined Batman for for me for years to come. It, it was the the basis of of my education for not just Batman, but comic books and superheroes in general. I do want to bring up one thing. What's that? The fact that, okay, so I'm pretty sure that my first look into Batman was from Batman, the animated series. Okay. And I was, I don't want to say disappointed, but confused why the bat suit wasn't gray and black. In the movies. Oh, okay, okay. I was super confused. I was like, it is gray and black. Okay, gotcha. Like, yeah. I love that suit. Like, that suit is great. But I didn't understand. black suit until Batfleck, yeah. And I was just like, why isn't it gray and black? Look at the aesthetic. Look at it. That suit's great. And I just love how his cape uh, goes around him completely. And all you see are his white like the white eyes and his yep. face like his chin and that squarest of square jaws yes uh yeah that, that's something else that goes back to you again the character design on on the episode or on the series throughout was fantastic and, and it's animation so you always want to keep things simple because you're going to be out to draw it a million times from a, a billion different angles and the simpler it is the the better it is um, but they hit that perfect balance of stylized realism, um, and and it's still it's very much still a cartoon, but it's not unbelievably cartoony. It's not over the top cartoony. It's not you know, Super Friends cartoony. Um, there's a, a verisimilitude to borrow 
borrowed from Superman uh, to, to everything in the show. Uh, and I appreciate that as a kid. You know, you look at Avengers, um, the Superman cartoon that came out on the heels of this, and the censors must have been cracking down because there's not a like this this series. You have uh, realistic firearms, and you jump to Superman, and everyone's packing laser pistols. Even the cops in Metropolis have laser pistols because censors weren't allowing it anymore. Um, like this show, in some cases, literally got away with murder. Um, now, you know, before you get too far away from super friends and stuff, mm -hmm. I love when we got Batman, Robin, Joker, and Penguin on Scooby-Doo. <laughs> Thank you very much. I loved those episodes as a kid. That is the only episode of that show I ever wish would come on was the one with Batman. I'll give you that. That's <laughs> Wonderful. Have you seen the one where the Scooby-Doo gang meets John Cena? Because that's the level no. Scooby-Doo we're doing nowadays. Yeah, no, I, I'm good. Thanks. Just, All right. Just, just give me, just give me Batman, Robin, Joker, and Penguin. Yep. Okay. So there you go. John Cena. <clears throat> Sorry. So there you go. <laughs> There's our definitive thoughts on Batman, the animated series thrown at you in no discernible order because uh, my notes were a mess this week and I apologize. But we couldn't we couldn't talk Batman on the show, at least for me, and not circle back around to this because, again, so much of, of my uh, bat memories are connected to this show and everything this show taught me. And it really was. Uh, the the knowledge base from which everything built up on top of uh, this X Men uh, Spider Man that, that's basically my my earliest education in comic books and superheroes was from cartoons so I guess I was fortunate to grow up in a time when they were trying to be accurate to the comics and their cartoons uh, and we can really thank Batman the animated series for that because it did it first and arguably did it best. Any other final thoughts? No, no, I just have the, I have the, I have the X Men theme playing in my head right now. Uh, there is one other legacy of this show I do want to plug, um, <laughs> and that is if you're a fan of the show, and if you're sitting there chomping at the bit to go rewatch the entire show, and then uh, you, you're done with it, you're like, man, that was cool, but I wish there was more. I wonder what other characters would look like done in the world of Batman the Animated Series. Man, I wonder what Deathstroke would look like in Batman the Animated Series. I wonder what Red Hood would look like in Batman the Animated Series. Hey, you're in luck. There's a comic from DC called Batman The Adventures Continue uh, co-written by Bruce Timm uh, which is literally a continuation of the cartoon show in comic form and all the characters I just mentioned are in it. Nice. Um so if you're a fan of this and want to see more, check out Batman The Adventures Continue, which is the direct comic continuation of Batman the Animated Series. There you go. There's well, my shameless plug for the Bombo. Don't forget, we also have, you know, Mask of the Phantasm, which mm -hmm. was a very decent movie. And it's 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 this this it's a movie from this series. Um and we, you also have Batman Beyond, which while the animation style is a little different, I I personally choose to see it as a continuation of the series as well. 
Oh, it's one hundred percent a continuation of the series. That, that's, Cause yeah, because yeah, we get Return of the Joker, which is mm-hmm. it. It is in continuity the the sequel series to the show. Yeah, yeah, and it is a wonderful series, uh, all the way through. So. Thank you, Scott. Cool. On that note. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for tuning in and joining us through our Batmania of uh, these last several episodes. Uh, and hopefully you're listening to this right as you're pulling in the theater to go see The Batman in theaters now. Um, Warner Brothers, you can pass later. Uh, we hope you've enjoyed this romp back through the Batman cinematic universe and cartoon universe. Uh, and there's no other way to say to, to segue off this show. Uh, then to give us a little bit of that sweet, sweet Danny Elfman juice for Craven. Commander Scott, are you ready? Is there a Batman curling action figure? <laughs>